Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Still Token With. Tonight, the guys are Still Token With, Ed Sorensen. He is a technical cave diver. He has some amazing stories on some incredible rescues that he did. So he's an underwater recovery expert, owner, and founder of Cave Adventures, and much, much more. This is simply an amazing episode you can't miss. Coming at you right now. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. But thank you all for joining us. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. require raging retro reviews? Do you desire discussions with devastatingly dashing dorks? The Dorkening Podcast Network has nearly 30 shows to satisfy all of your nerdy, geeky, and dorky needs. From horror reviews and celebrity interviews. Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet Films and the star of Allison. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. Hi, guys. This is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. As well as nostalgic trips into the past, pop culture, the latest in entertainment news, and so much more. Featuring a variety of shows and hosts that will simultaneously enrage, enlighten, and entertain you. Check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. My mom says I'm cool. Available on iTunes, Spotify, thedorkening.com, and wherever fine podcasts can be found. 
And welcome to Still Token With. We got an awesome show scheduled as always. And uh, you know, my name's Leo. I'm the monkey behind the keyboard. With us as always, we have Benjamin. Yo. How's it going, my friend? Good, good. Getting a little feedback. We are, we are. Yes. Yeah, we weren't getting that earlier. Uh, Jeffrey. Peace out. How you doing? How's everybody doing out there on this beautiful Wednesday? <laughs> and uh, our guest, if, maybe if you can turn down your volume a little bit, that may be causing it. Who? Uh, Ed. Oh, Ed. Yeah. Volume down. All right. Let's see. Volume down. On the live show, yeah. Better. Uh, we'll give it a try. Better. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, Benjamin, would you like to introduce our awesome guest? Um, yeah, actually, I do. Because I've been at, I've been waiting for this show. <laughs> so we. Have... You don't want me to do it. It'll go down in the gutter right away. <laughs> yeah, we figured as much. We figured as much. We have a, actually an exciting show tonight. We have a uh, world-renowned technical cave diver and underwater recovery specialist, Mr. Ed Sorensen. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, so whatever uh, we did, we fixed it. <laughs> I'm not getting the feedback anymore. Uh, so, so being a cave diver, you must like to just get, like get wet. I'm always there, so uh, I'm in the water about 300 days a year. A year, so yeah, I'm I'm wet most of the time. <laughs> All right, mute his mic, Leo. Mute his mic. <laughs> hey, wait, got to. <laughs> I was all started off wet, right, right in the gutter, right in the gutter. So uh, before we get too deep into one side of what you do. You are the co-founder and owner of Cave Adventures down in Florida. Um, t tell us a little bit about what that is. All right. Well, I moved to Florida um, 18 plus years ago, and the idea was just to retire and go cave diving every day. And there was, uh, I'm right on a man-made lake that has seven caves in it, and um, there was no place to get tanks filled within without driving for 60, 70 miles. And so I bought a compressor and a fill station and a booster. And I just sold several houses and my excavation company moved down here. So my accountant said I needed tax write-off. So he said, dive shop. And I said, I don't want to run a dive shop. And he said, well, just use it as tax write-off. So I did, um, and people started showing up and then it grew and grew and grew and then i started teaching again um and of course i've been a body recovery specialist i was founded uh, i was one of the original founding divers um, at um the rest is kind of history people just uh, seem to love coming here and uh we uh in fact we just closed the door shop and um, a bunch of groups were just headed back um, north of their hometown. So uh, that's a little bit about us. <clears throat> awesome. Uh, we are getting uh, some uh, people saying there's still a little bit of feedback. Um, could you try lowering your volume a little bit? Or do you have headphones? Uh, if not, uh, I think we almost got it. Yeah, just drop the volume a little bit more. How's that? 
we'll give it a try. We'll see if it works. <laughs> All right. And if not, I mean, I'm watching live over here, so I, I'm not getting much feedback. Yeah, I think we got it. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> That's all good. Yeah. Show's not about them anyways. It's about us. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you, uh, you didn't dive all your life. What'd you do before you started diving, before you retired? I'm just curious. Uh, I had an excavation and construction company. So, um, we basically dug ditches and built houses. So, okay, oh, cool. So similar to what we do. Yeah, just yeah. put bodies, in, or I mean, um, cover them up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's why you started diving. You started running out of room. Uh, yeah, I found out that um, nobody'd go in the caves looking for them, so it was a good place to stash them. <laughs> uh, Joanna, Lady J wants to know: Have you ever dived for pirate treasure? I never have. Um, not long ago, there was somebody that said that there was a. Uh, okay. vessel not far from here that had gold on it and they wanted to go look for it but no I have not um, there's a lot of that down in the keys um, I just uh, never really have had the urge to go out and right right yeah plus there's probably a lot of legalities <laughs> on that and if you find gold you gotta pay taxes on it I mean who wants to deal with that well, plus the government wants their share, and there's lots of red tape and paperwork. And yeah, why would anybody want to find money? <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's salty water, so, right? Right. Are our yep. That's fresh water. Wow, we got uh, we got a bunch of viewers in here. We got some hi from Ireland. Nice. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. Georgia, yeah, yeah. Florida, nice. So we're bouncing. Love it. Love it. So uh, for somebody that wants to get into cave diving, you have a site that you run. Is that correct? Yes. So we um, are a world-class dive shop. Uh, we teach, uh, I teach classes from pe people from all over the world. Uh, a lot of um, students and instructor training for people in Germany, France, um, Australia, I mean, they come from all over. So um, we, I just finished several uh, rebreather, side mount rebreather classes for a bunch of people from the UK. Right before COVID, they pretty much shut down all the uh, uh, international travel. But uh, yeah, we're busy pretty much year round. Um, I teach everything from starting out with cave diving. There's there's basically four classes to get to be a cave diver. Yeah. there um, and then you go on to introduction to cave or what people call cave apprentice and then full cave and then from there they can go on to we teach it all um, all the way to instruct I teach instructors and instructor excellent yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff, you, you want to do cave diving? Is that something that would interest uh, you? No, actually, I, no, I tried, I tried to dive. I can't dive. I had surgery on my left ear when I was a little kid, and I can't take the pressure. Yeah, if you can't clear your ears, you're not going to be a diver, that's for sure. Yeah, I can't, I can't take the pressure, so, you know, is what it is. 
Your, your wife tried diving at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- t- yeah tell her the story. That, that was funny. Yeah, so a buddy of mine came up to Maine, um, my summer place up there, and he brought all his diving equipment. He wanted, you know, figured he'd dive in the lake. So, we, you know, he was uh, with the buddy system or whatever. He was bringing people out. So he brings my wife out, and all I see is this in the top of the water. It's her ass. <laughs> right? Ten minutes. That was awesome. She jumps up. That was so great, so great. We went deep. I'm like, no, you didn't. You never even went under the water. <laughs> well, we got closer to the to the bottom. I'm like, no, he was bringing you closer to shore. The ground was coming up. The bottom was closer to you. Yeah, right. she had no idea. It was the funniest thing. Sorry, Ann, if you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, it was. That was wicked funny. So, my dad was a diver in the navy. I was a diver. We used to do a lot of diving together, and then uh, um, he kind of gave it up as he got older. Um, and I don't know, last 25 years now. But it's a, it's a great sport. Um, if you like adventure and you like to see what's around the next corner, there's caves that are uh, just colossal, right? 200 yards from my house, there's one of them. It's got a room called the Mother of All Great Water Tunnel. Uh, about 90 feet wide, 45 feet tall, and 1,000 feet long. So it's a pretty big room to swim through. Yeah, it's a big room. And then, I mean, people people ask a lot of questions about cave diving. Some of the videos on cave adventures where I'm going through, uh, there's one that, no, it's not a porno, but it's called Eight Inches of Fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's a it's a video and the the cave is literally about that tall and it's me coming through and my head doesn't my head scraping on the rocks and my face the DSV the mouthpiece of my rebreather is plowing through the sand and people think oh man how can you do that how can you not be claustrophobic and the and then some people think that's cave diving that's just what I like to do is small uh, tight exploration stuff. These caves, um, there's one down um, in a cave called uh, in Camp Indian Springs. And it's uh, 250 feet wide by you know, 500 feet long. So you can park 747 in there and still have room to swim around it. Uh, with I mean, that's... So it's, there, it goes from everything from super tight to super colossal. Yeah, I've tied some tight caves. Uh, I'm sorry. I saw that coming. (laughs) I could see that one coming. You set him up for that one. (laughs) I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's amazing that, that, you know, the views you get down there. I mean, personally, you'll never get me down there because there's stuff down there bigger than me that can eat me. I'm good. I'm good. Not really, because it's a cave, so it's devoid of light, and so all plants need sunlight to grow, and usually animals, uh, fish, they want something to eat. So really, when you go in there, there's almost nothing alive in there. Um, way back in some of the caves, we'll see small minnows, and if there's a if the minnow population grows and grows and grows, then all of a sudden eels appear. And 
some of the caves over here, there's uh, mineral population growing and growing and growing. And then all of a sudden you'll see a couple of four or five, six foot long eels in there gobbling them up. Um, there's some little salamanders. Regular salamander only. They're, uh, they're white and translucent. You can actually see through them. If you look really closely, you can watch their heartbeat. Um, and they're wow. usually only a couple inches long. There's what's called albino cave crawfish. Uh, they look like a normal them because it's devoid of light. So there's usually nothing in there that can eat you. In fact, that's why I used to say I love, I love cave diving because there's no sharks in there. Okay. Well, okay. I ran into a bull, six-foot bull shark in Bahamas. So. Oh, wow. Was that, uh, have you ran into sharks before other than that bull? Uh, not in a cave. So in that particular one, it was what's called a blue hole in the Bahamas, and that's where the aquifer or the fresh water is pouring out into the ocean, and, and it looks like. So this other team uh, called Team Karst, they had asked me to join the team around 2004, and they thought they had these caves walled out, or in other words, they had run line as far as they could go. And then they heard a rep that the reputation was, my head will fit, I'll go. So they wanted me to go down there and see if I could find anything more. That they did. And that particular one, uh, there happened to be a bull shark in there, which uh, is is rare because there's nothing to eat in there. And I Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Well, Ben's watched too many movies. That's why he won't go down there. I'd love to go down there. <laughs> yeah. I just can't movies, right. there's all kinds of creatures in there that'll eat you. Right? right. Oh, I'll go as long as I'm in the middle of the pack. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, have to outswim the monster, just outswim your friends. That's right, right. <laughs> See? <laughs> Not me. Isn't I can't. I can't do salt water. I, I'm. I'm too afraid of sharks. Nah. They won't eat you, Leo. You're not sweet enough. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, so what was the uh, the scariest situation you've been in? Um, you know that's tough. I get asked that a lot. Um, there was uh, a guy not long ago. Uh, named Stratus Koss, and he was writing a book. Those calls and he had contacted me and said would you write a chapter for this book on a close call you had maybe something where you almost died and I said I haven't had any close calls and he said you've been doing this for that many years I've heard you have well over 10,000 dives and you've never had a close call I said well but I just called him another day. And he said, well, why don't you tell me about one or two of them and let me decide if it's book worthy. So I started telling him the story. He's like, oh, that's what I'm looking for. So it, I guess for most people, it probably would have been horrifying. Um, but, you know, for me, um, I've had uh, that particular instance that's in the book. Um, 
my buddy and I were back in a new section that uh, we were exploring thousand feet away from the opening um, do some really tight stuff and happened to the rocks happened to gash in my wing and the ladder of the wing floated out and got stuck between I mean it was probably only 10 and it got stuck between the line that we have to follow out and the rock ceiling and so I'm trapped out and I can't reach behind me so I'm yelling to Jason I said you know and he sees this and he has to tuck the bladder back into the shell he has to take my safety reel and sew it up and all this is taking time and we're of course breathing through all the gas we uh, there was no side mount rebreathers at that time Uh, so by the time we got this fixed and got to a place we could turn around, came back to our scooters so we can scooter 5,000 feet back to our next scooter and our next of gas. We get to the scooter, we I hit the trigger, I go less than 100 feet and my scooter dies. And he comes circling back and he's looking at me like, what are you doing? And I said, this is broken. And so we hook up to tow and he tows me about 50 feet and his scooter dies. Oh no. Now we realize, holy cow, we had gas to scooter out. We didn't have gas to swim out. And it's 5,000 feet back to our nearest, um, our next bottle of gas and our next scooter. So average swim speed is 50 feet a minute. So that's going to really close. And it was kind of a, but we, we were the only two people that had ever been in that section of cave. Wow. If I got to go. Tonight, this is where I want to go. And I swam and enjoyed the scenery. And an hour or so later, we were back in the bottle and another scooter. And then we scootered the rest of the way out, did our hour and a half of decompression, came to the surface, and talked about it. So um, we've got, yeah, I've got a few like that. that you know, <laughs> I've got a few like yeah, that. Like it's like that. Another day at the office. Another, another day at the office. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think that would have been enough for me right there. I would have been like, nope, done. <laughs> well, and that does happen to a lot of um, cave divers when they do dive after dive after dive and everything's great. And then they have what we call a come to Jesus moment. And the next day, usually they're all their gears up for sale on eBay. So, uh, it does happen quite often. Didn't that, do you think people aren't really like afraid of diving, but they're afraid of like drowning? Dying? Well, you or know, do you think I, it's a fear of drowning that actually makes people not want to dive? Well, for one, um, when something goes wrong in open water, that's why that's why cave training is so intense. When something goes wrong in open water, you go to the surface. Um, when something happens in a cave, you have to get out and you might be in 500 feet. You might be in 5,000 feet, might be in 10,000 feet. You might be in 15,000 feet. And so that's why we carry redundant everything. Um, it's like I said, it's devoid of light. It's not dark. What people think of as dark is they're walking through their night and they stub their toe or something because they can't see what they think they can't see anything when 
it's really dark. In a cave, it's not really dark. It's devoid of light. So there is, it's darker than when you close your eyes. I mean, there is nothing there. So if your light goes out, it, it's, it's, it's dark. So you have to know how to get out in the dark. And it, there's always a three light minimum rule. So we have a primary light, flashlight that goes on my harness, my primary light. So <clears throat> then I have what's called backup lights. And those are carried in my pocket. Um, I happen to wear one on my mask also. So if Um, your regulator, the thing that's giving you gas uh, to stay alive. If that fails, we generally have multiples. Um, a lot of people now are going to rebreathers. Um, I run classes. In fact, that's what I do today. And you always have to also plan for what happens if your rebreather fails. Because remember, anything man-made, it's not a matter of if it's going it's when and where are you? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we're going way back, um, like the cave that's right up here, I'm up here. Um, turn into my lines about 15 plus. Back. So that's almost three miles of swimming away from the open. So we have to carry either a rebreather and enough gas to get out from furthest point. Of if that rebreather failed, or I do what, um, now what's called a dual rebreather diving. So I have two rebreathers. So I change rebreathers every 20 minutes to make sure that the other one's still functioning and everything's good. And that way, if one fails, I still have a redundant rebreather um, to get out. And I'm usually riding a scooter, um, and then I tow two scooters behind me. So if a scooter fails, I have two more for backup. So we have to have redundant makes sense right right totally makes sense <clears throat> yeah now now i'm totally never doing anything like that <laughs> <laughs> so before we get too much deeper into into the caves i guess <laughs> it's uh it's about that time leo you um want to run commercial we can do that and actually while we're doing that uh ed uh you're going in and out uh are you using the laptop microphone or um or do I am. If you want during commercial, I can see if we can get a uh, earbud in there. Th that'd be awesome. And uh, yeah, uh, so it'll be a couple minutes with commercials. And uh, so if you want to take care of that, that'd be awesome. And, uh, get on that right yeah. now. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for watching. We got a bunch of information in the show notes down below or up above, depending on where you're watching or listening to us. If you want to check out Ed Sorensen, uh, if you're interested in cave diving and, you know, want to book them for some, uh, some classes... Uh, or shop, uh, you know, you need new gear, anything like that, uh, or you just want to reach out to them. You know, we got a bunch of information there, but we love supporting indie artists and indie businesses. And with that, we have Deadly Grounds Coffee. They're a sponsor of the Dorkening Podcast Network. Uh, best coffee in Connecticut. And uh, here we go. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. 
And Ben and Jeff have been working on a project. Here's a little sneak peek about it. What the fuck are we gonna do now? Get high. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. Ben, did you change your background? What? Yeah, he did. <laughs> no, I came out of the cave. <laughs> See? I told you there was stuff that could eat me in here. <laughs> yeah, you came out of the cave, and that's where the stuff that can eat you is at. Right? Is that better with the head with the earbuds? Uh, we'll have to let it run to see what happens because it's, it's like it's periodic. You'll, you'll be talking, then all of a sudden your mic goes out. So I uh, want to make sure everybody listens to your stories because they're awesome. Well, I can read lips, so I was just paying attention. It'll translate. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, anybody? Anybody? Everybody's just kind of staring at the screens. <laughs> did I throw you off with the background change? I mean, really? Yeah, you, you did, did, actually. No, you did. I did it just to see what you do. Because yeah. now I can just think about sharks. I mean, it's just... <laughs> He's got a nightmare now. Oh, yeah. That's okay. I won't, but he will. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, Ed mentioned the bull shark. Bull sharks will fuck you up. And they're 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 adaptable. Like, the, uh, you know, the shark attacks that Jaws was based off of? That was a bull shark. And uh, I guess it swam up some rivers and actually attacked people in fresh water. Yeah. That, that's... One of the only ones that can go in. Yeah. Right, right. Wow. Messed up. He was in that cave in the Bahamas, which is fresh water pouring out into the ocean. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. So... We, we talked a little bit about this, a little bit about that. Now I kind of want to get into some of the other things that you do. And that in regards to um, the underwater cave rescues. Mm -hmm. So you joined and helped found the IUCRR. Is that correct? I didn't help find, found it. Uh, when it was, uh, when it, when it was first founded, uh, it was by he was a former police officer and he saw that when people would perish in a flooded mine shaft or any kind of an overhead environment, um, naturally when somebody comes up missing, they do is call the police. So a uh, uh, rescue dive team or a fire department rescue dive team would be dispatched. And of course those guys are unbelievably brave and go into things they shouldn't go into because a lot of people don't know the environment unless they're cave trained. So he started this group so that during a cave or 
cavern or flooded mine shaft or whatever the case may be, a bus, a plane underwater, um, <clears throat> those divers didn't have to go risk their lives. Uh, they would leave it to experts that were trained in you had to be asked to join and a friend of mine was asked to be the regional coordinator for our area and he asked me to be part of the team so i did and um just a few months after being on the team i was in gainesville area and i was vacation diving and some guy pops up help my wife his wife had perished. Um, I was already in the water. I just hit the trigger on my scooter, went in, body recovery, um, and that's where it all started uh, with my first one. And then as I got called out for more and more body recovery, one of the things Henry said when he first started the IUCRR international underwater cave but there are no cave rescues they're all body recoveries they said by the time someone is overdue long enough to be noticed and in uh, then the police have to get a hold of one of our recovery specialists and then we have to load up all our gear drive to the site gear up uh, and then go into a cave system that they are separated from their buddies or whatever happened, and we've got to find them. And um, so usually they've long since ran out of gas and So up until 2012, I believe there was only four cave rescues in history. So that means only four people had a body, uh, an actual cave rescue. Uh, it's a very small club. In 2012, I did four in one year. In 2013, I did another. And then in 2018, I believe it was, when that was kind of the one that got the most notoriety because the guy I rescued mm -hmm. was part of that Thai cave rescue team that got the kids out of uh, the... Right, right. And the weird thing about that was... He was there, and he's one of that rescue team, uh, and he's with four or five other people that were all on that rescue team. And they searched for their buddy. They did like eight dives searching for their buddy that was separated from them in a cave they'd been diving for two days. Uh, so they were familiar with the cave. Um, it was a really small, nasty, tight, silty that most humans wouldn't even want to go in. And at that point, two pe only two people had ever been in. And they did eight dives over 11 hours. They, by that time, they were out of gas. Um, people were bringing them more and more tanks, but they just exhausted all the food. They needed sleep. They needed more gas. At 2.30 in the morning, they called me because of my reputation. And uh, they, you know, he had a real heavy you can you come find our mate? And I said, yeah, I'll. And so Stacy immediately got on the phone, started trying to book me flights to Nashville. Um, <clears throat> I came out, started packing my gear, um, and 
uh, one of my employees came in early and we were getting all my gear together, clothes together. And Tallahassee, <clears throat> which is about a pretty close to an hour drive, um, and board a plane I flew to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Nashville. They were just backing the plane away from the gate in Nash in uh, Atlanta. And I had been on the phone periodically with uh, this one sheriff that was leading the uh, rescue operation. And when the stewardess said, please turn off your phones, we're ready to taxi. And I just reached for my phone and I was getting ready to put it into airplane mode when um, it came up on my screen, Krebs was calling the sheriff and I said, <clears throat> and she, the stewardess is standing three feet from me. And I said, I really need to take this. And she said, sir, you need to turn your phone off. I said, no, you don't understand. I really need to take this call. And she started reaching like she was going to take my phone. So I just held the phone out away from her. <laughs> and he goes, this Sheriff Krebs, he goes, um, they're concerned that he's not going to be alive by the time you get here. They're dispatching a, a, a state trooper helicopter. It will be waiting for you at the airport. The two armed uh, officers that will escort you to the helicopter and you will fly in and that'll get you there an hour and a half early. And I said, okay. And she's over there going, uh, maybe you should take this call. And I'm like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> By this time, the whole plane's listening. They're all standing up and cheering, you know, go get that guy. So, we get to the airport and they ask everybody to remain seated so I can get off the plane first. These guys are standing there and they're grabbing my gear and we're baggage claim and they're grabbing my gear off the plane. And we got lights and sirens going. They load me up out into the mountains of Tennessee. <clears throat> and I had called a friend of mine who had just, normally I do all the body recoveries and rescues by myself. Had just gotten one uh, a double fatality in the Dominican Republic like a month before that maybe two months before and this was so bad they had had 11 different experts trying to get these two bodies out and it was so small and tight that they couldn't and the guy that called me was the last expert and he said Ed I know you have a reputation for doing this stuff by yourself but this is so small and it's zero visibility and you need to take somebody with you. And I thought, who do I trust my life to? And the guy that builds the rebreathers that I sell, Mike Young from Kiss Rebreathers, I called him and he went over to the Dominican with me and uh, 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 recovered. Anyway, so they're saying you need to have somebody on this one. So I called Mike and I said, hey, I know you're busy, but yeah, I'm on my way. So when they're going to fly me in on a helicopter, he said, that's going to put you about an hour and a half ahead of your uh, team member. Are you okay doing this by yourself? And I said, do them by myself. So we got there and uh, I suited up and put it on in. And it took me 
well, their lines were all, I mean, it's, you could tell they had a bad day. There was lines torn up, floating everywhere, and you couldn't see more than a couple feet. And so I'm going in searching, and by this time, so much time has passed, I'm assuming I'm doing a body read. So I'm scanning the ceiling, looking, because usually a body will float, I guess. So I'm scanning the ceiling, and then I'm looking around, and I can't see very far from all the searching activities previously done. And of course, all the lines broken, and that's how you usually go through a cave is you follow the line that the previous explorer put in. Well, they had torn them all down. So there's lines floating everywhere. So I just cut it out up into a corner, pulled out a reel and started running my own. Well, I've never been in this cave. So now I'm exploring a cave in near zero visibility, and I'm looking for a body at the same time. And they had said that there was an air pocket back of the cave, but they couldn't, they'd been to the air pocket before, but for some reason, since all the lines got broken and they couldn't find this air pocket again. So I started running lines. <clears throat> I'm, I know I'm doing them. And I'm going and going and going and going. And all of a sudden it's kind of tight and I bumped my head and I felt the camera move. Um, and I thought, oh shit, I forgot to turn the camera on. So as I'm turning the camera on, I look up and I see shimmering up above me. Uh, okay, that's an airplane. So I start going up and as my face breaches the surface, I'm looking over at a dim headlight pointed at me. And this guy is just as calm as could be. And keep in mind, by this time, it's been he's been up there for 27 hours. Oh, wow. And wow. So he's breathing all the oxygen out of this air pocket. And I don't know how much oxygen's left in there. I pop up, I'm looking at him and I don't know who is more shocked, him or me, that he was still alive. And I was just like, ah, uh, and he looks at me and he goes, I'm gonna get me. And probably the, the worst moment in a rescue is once somebody has gone into a near death situation they've gotten to a safe place if you take them back into that environment and they freak out and panic they're going to kill you too. And so i'm trying to keep it light and i just took the uh on a, on a rebreather you have to close the dsv before you pull it out of your mouth and you'll flood it so i shut the dsv and i pull it out of my mouth and i said well thanks for being here <laughs> <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes all I can see is a black hood and my mask and the and the part of my rebreather and it says and he said who are you and I shut it down again because I don't trust this gas so I'm not breathing it and I pull it out of my mouth and I go I'm Ed Sorensen now I've never met this guy in my life and he goes I was hoping it would be you and I said well thanks I said are you how are you doing are you cold because it, the water's 54 degrees, uh, 52 or 54, I can't remember. And he had gotten up on the shelf, so he was, he was in this cold mud, but he had put his harness down in the mud, so he was sitting on that for some insulation. Because one of the concerns when, <clears throat> before I went in for the rescue, we were talking to uh, Brian Krebs, the lead sheriff, and all the ground and center set up. And they were asking me, um, they had told the 
uh, Brit divers, when they came back to the scene in the morning, they had it all police bannered off, and there was probably a hundred police officers and volunteer uh, dry cave rescue people there. And they wouldn't let them in. And they said, no, this is our friend. We got to go in and get him. And he said, no, we're, we're waiting for an expert. And the guy said, is it Ed Sorensen? He said, yeah, do you know him? And he said, no, but if I was in there, that's who I'd want coming for me, which I thought was really nice. Well, so here I am talking to these guys, and they're expecting me to be this world-renowned expert. And uh, they, the guy looks at me with this most serious of face, and he goes, all right, what's your plan? I said, I'll have one. And he's probably yeah. thinking, and you're our expert? <laughs> yep, that's how it he works. Goes, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you don't have a plan? So I've been doing this for 25 years, and I said, no two of them have ever been the same. I said, so I don't make a plan. I, said, I go in, I see what I see, and I make decisions based on what I see. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Okay, so are you going to run a line or are you going to use theirs? I said, and he's looking at me like, fuck, do you know anything? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, there again, if their line, if the line that's in there is intact and it's good, why would I take time to run my own line? I said, but if it's not, I have a reel here and I'll run my own line. He's like, okay, how long's your dive plan? I said, I don't know. And he's just like, okay, I'm about done with the I don't know. Be confident. Tell me something. And I said, you know, uh, my suit heater broke last week, and this is really cold water, so I don't plan on being in there for more than three, three and a half hours. And so I went in. Anyway, when I got to this guy, I wanted to keep it light. I didn't want him So I asked him how cold he was. He said he was good, that he had good insulation and, and dry suit was doing a good job. And then I asked him, um, because hypothermia, if they can't aid in their own rescue, then it makes things really, really difficult. Um, and then I asked him if he had any gas left. And he said that he had tried three self-rescues and he had put his gear back on, gone back in and tried to find his way out. You know, hours and hours had passed hoping that the visibility would clear up and he'd be able to find his way out. And he said, after the third self-rescue, he said, I, I, if I tried it again, I wouldn't have had enough gas if somebody came for me. So I said, well, how much do you have? And he said, I have 50 bar in this tank and 100 bar in this tank. And I said, okay, that could be enough. Start with the fullest tank. If you have to, if you run out of gas on that tank, you still have more in the other. But I, said, I have two tanks on my side and I'm on a rebreather, so I don't need them. I said, I have enough gas and a seven foot long hose on this side. Um, I said, I will get you out of here. The next thing is the line is really precarious where I had to run it. And there was one spot where it took a sharp bend to the right. I knocked the clock about the size of my thumb. So I'm giving him a play by play of exactly how we're going to get out of here. And I'm going to put him right behind me and you're going to hang on to my calf. And I said, I need you. There's places where there's torn up lines or there's a couple of lines coming in here. I want, I need you on mine. And I said, every time that there's a change in direction, I'm physically going to take your hand and put it where I need you to go. He just kept saying, okay. And I said, now on this sharp left turn, it's tied onto a rock the size of my thumb. I said, if you break that off, we're in a world of trouble. And I said, so I'm going to, 
place you where I need you to go. And so <clears throat> the video was all over the news. Um, and he just followed me out and um, we're going along. And all of a sudden we get to the last little bit, which is the very first part coming in. And it's really low. And it's just this baby poop silt bottom where if you even, you know, move your hand like that, it's just the visibility is going to go to zero. Lines run clear over to the left where it's really small. And I thought, if I go through first, he's going to be back in zero vis visibility, and I don't want him to panic. So I actually got four or five feet away from the line, which is you, you don't want to let go of that line. You don't want to lose that line. Just so he could have the visibility coming through that section. And that way I could watch him coming through there. And if he got wedged, I could reach in there and grab him. Once we got through that section, all of a sudden I started seeing sticks on the ground. That meant we had to be getting close to the open. And then all of a sudden I could see a little bit of ambient light coming. So I knew we were, we made it, we were out. And about that time, now there was hundreds of rescue, uh, cave, dry cave rescue people. I think there was three counties of dry cave rescue people. There was four counties of sheriffs. There was state troopers. Uh, I mean, there was people everywhere. And since I told them I was gonna be in there for three and a half hours or so, it was the middle of the day. They all went over to the, by the mobile command center and they were eating. <laughs> they left one guy. It's just a, it's just a mountainside. And there's a, there's a little hole in the side of the mountain with water. coming. And they left one guy to watch the hole. And all of a sudden it's only been like 50 minutes and he sees my light. And I'm, just starting to come up and I can hear, it sounds like he's really depressed. He goes, um, I think he's done already. And about that time he saw the second light behind him. And I hear him jumping up and down, fuck, there's two of them. <laughs> so we came up and I've been doing this for so long. When I go into the water, I just turn into, I turn everything off. I turn into a machine and I, and I just have to get the job never any emotion it's just a job i came out of the water if you've ever seen the video you just see me go fuck yes and it was just so emotional that that 27 hours and these guys searching and searching for him and i got him out of there. so soon as we pop up he gives me a big hug the rescue guys are all swarming in and they started helping him get his stuff and one of my buddies who's a uh uh, Apache helicopter instructor. He was, he lives up in Tennessee, close to there. And he's a fellow, a friend of mine. And he was standing there and I'm right about level with his feet. And he kind of looks around and they're all over helping this guy. And he, down, he looks at me and he goes, 45 minutes, really, Ed, couldn't you have made this look difficult? <laughs> <laughs> so, that was that was probably one of the more memorable ones, and it's been on about every news channel on the English. It was it was probably the only one that I ever got emotional afterwards. It was right, right. Wow, it's actually impressive. I have I, I have anxiety I was, just listening to that. I was captivated <laughs> by that story. I mean, I was just. I didn't even want to break in and ask a question. I just wanted, I was like, what? 
And then yeah, I had actually, a, I had a few watched. jokes that I had to let go. <laughs> I've actually watched a lot of the, um, a lot of your videos, believe it or not, because it's just part of the research. Um, I was telling Leo and Jeff the way I actually found you was I was watching Live Rescue, <clears throat> and and it wasn't underwater. Um, it was going to be a recovery, and I believe it it was actually a rescue. Yeah, there's been a couple of them. Um, there was a TV show um, about uh, this older gentleman that I rescued out of uh, a cave called Jack Blue. Um, there was a there was a whole recreation done on it. There was another one. There was a guy named Ben uh, Ben McDaniel's. He disappeared in a cave not too about 45 miles from here called Vortex. And there's several movies and documentaries on on that one. Um, I did probably 12 or 13 dives looking for that guy. He's not in there. Um, But um, there was another recreation of a girl that I rescued. Um, That was on several different networks. Father and son and daughter were from South Florida, and they were coming up north, visiting all these springs along the way, and they called it the Summer Spring Pool. And there was one out here called Twin Cave, and it's got a real small opening, and it's a very silty, low-flow cave. And when they were talking about they were going to do Twin Cave next, the the one of the guys that used to work for me, Frank looked up from filling their tanks, and he said, "Oh no, 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 no! You don't, you don't, do not go to Twin." It's very dangerous, very silty. If you stir it up, you'll never find your way out. And the father said, oh, we're just going to swim around the outside. And so they swam around the outside, and there was three cave divers in the cave at the time. And um, the cave divers had just finished their cave dive, and when you come up from the depth, you have to do what's called decompress. So they're breathing pure oxygen at 20 feet, and they're decompressing, uh, getting the nitrogen out of their system. And they're almost done with their decompression when this female cave diver that was in the lead looked over at the opening, small doggy door opening, but it's a pretty, it's a, it's a really big cavern, real small opening, and it's, it's hard to get into for a full cave diver without dusting it up a little bit. And these guys came in flutter kicking. And she saw this, and she turned to her two divers, and she said, let's go now. And by the time she turned around, she said, poof, it was complete zero visibility. Now, they're cave trained, so they immediately dropped down, found the line, which will go to the exit. The open water divers, they don't have this training. They just started panicking in zero visibility, and they're smashing into walls trying to trying to find their way out. And one of the girls that was in the lead <clears throat> was right by the opening when she said it felt like I was being attacked. And she, and she just covered, she hung onto the line and just covered her head. And she said she was just getting beat and kicked. And it was them trying to get out. And once it stopped, she continued out. And then the next diver behind her out. And the next diver behind her out. And they all popped to the surface. And now the whole surface of this crystal clear lake from crystal clear drinking water coming out is a 90 foot circle of mud. The father's there, the son's there, and the three cave divers. And he turns and he realizes that his daughter's missing. 
points at the cave divers. He goes, you got to go in there and find her. And the cave divers are like, we're not going back in there. Well, there was a fourth cave diver. It was two. Fourth cave diver. She didn't want to do the, the second dive of the day. So she was sitting on the boat. Reading a book. And she hears all this commotion. And she looks down. And she goes, is someone missing? And the dad's screaming. And the son's panicking and crying. And the dad tries to go back in. But now he can't even find the opening to the cave. Buddy in Gerald Isabelli. So the girl on the boat, instead of calling 911, she actually called the shop and we're 500 yards away. So when the call came in, I was actually up at the head spring of this man-made lake, um, getting ready. To, I was getting ready to teach a class. When the call came in, I told my students, class is over, I gotta go. And so I haul ass home and it's less than a mile. Um, I'm, I'm doing 100 miles an hour down the road. <clears throat> And the, my guys are getting the boat ready to go at the dock. And so as soon as I back down the driveway, they're putting all the gear in the quad. They zoom down and I'm starting to help load the quad to take it down to the boat. And Frank looks at me and he goes, just put your suit on. I'll get everything else. So he gets all my gear on the boat. I'm putting my dry suit on. He's driving as fast as he can drive. After I get my suit on, I start suiting up. And all of a sudden, I'm on my knees putting my tanks on. And I'm facing the way he came He's driving the boat the way we're going. And he looks down at me and he goes, I don't know where to go. And I looked at him and I go, Frank, you know where Twin Cave is. Just drive the boat. He goes, I don't know where to go. And I turn around and it's you can see the dock and all, and all the people on the dock. And then there's just this giant, it's usually crystal clear and you can see the opening of the cave. And it's just this giant 90, 100 foot circle of mud. And I was like, oh shit. I said, okay, just line yourself up with the left side of the dock. I said, it's 60 feet out. He's trying to line up with the dock as he's coming in and he's slowing the boat down, slowing the boat down. He's like, I don't know where 60 feet is. I said, when I tell you, I said, when I tell you now, Chop the throttle. I said, do not run me over. So I'm at the side of this pontoon boat, and I said, now, he chopped the throttle, I bailed off. I've been in this cave hundreds and hundreds of times. I dropped down, and it's complete zero visibility. And now all of a sudden, I'm searching along the bottom, and I'm like, oh, shit. And I finally find the opening. I tie off of my reel, my safety reel, to the rock, and I start doing this search pattern. Because it's complete zero. So I'm searching back, back and forth, and all of a sudden I just ran right into a parapet. And she was just kicking, and she had found this little air pocket up in the ceiling. And it was only three feet wide and five feet long, so there's not a whole lot of breathable oxygen up in that little teeny hole. And I pop up in there, and she just grabbed onto me, and she's crying, and she said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she's breathing this gas. And I said, do you have any gas in your tanks? And she said, not very much. And I grabbed my extra long hose and I said, here, put this in your mouth. Because I didn't want her going hypoxic. And I said, it's really bad down there. I need you to stay calm. And I said, I'm going to get you out. And I said, I'm going to put you on my right arm. And I said, I have to have you stay calm. I'm not going to be sure I am. 
So she grabbed onto my arm and I said, you ready? Close your eyes because this is going to be bad. And off we went. And pretty soon I had her out and we got to the surface. And she just started grabbing a hold of me and I towed her to the surface. And right about the time I got to the stairs of the dock and Frank started helping her off. Here comes the sheriff's dive team boat. And um, the Lieutenant Mike Hodges, it was, uh, he pulls up and he, boy, he started just reaming that, her father out. Um, and he said, I want to see your cave card right now. Um, I don't have a cave card. I'm an old water diver. He goes, then what the hell are you doing in a cave? He said, you could have killed your daughter. And he was just laying it on thick. And I thought, he goes, this man has done more body recoveries than I can count. And he said, I can't believe we're not putting your daughter in a bag. And finally, I grabbed him. I go, Mike, Mike, Mike. <laughs> we, got the, we got the idea. He's sorry. And he gave me a big hug, uh, the sheriff, and they turned their boat around. But, so it was nice that uh, he uh, later on that day came over and asked to talk to me. I could never pay you, but what do I owe you? And I said, you know, I do this in a public service. I, I said, you owe me And he said, no, I have to pay you. And he said, I don't know what, he said, I, I couldn't pay you what it's worth, but tell me how much I can pay you. And I said, oh, I appreciate the offer, I said, but I, I, I don't want your money. He said, Last week, I had pulled a guy's uh, body from a cave his father, or he said, the man I was shaking his hand was thanking me for bringing his son's body home so that they could have closure and a funeral. You get to take yours home today. And that's payment enough. So that was one of the ones I think. That wow. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Jeff didn't move for the. He haven't. He hasn't said a word for like thirty-five minutes. He's just been like. I've been like enthralled with these stories. This is awesome. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, wow. Yeah, I'm. I'm blown away. Like just completely blown away. I mean, I've like I said, I've watched some of the videos. I did some research, and um, but to hear you tell the stories, just the the emotion in your voice, and you know, it, it's just yeah. Wow. Well, thank, thank you for your service, man. <laughs> for well, real. You know, for years and years of body recoveries, um, and being told the day I got trained to do recoveries that there are no cave rescues, when something like this happens and I actually get to send somebody home and not in a body bag, you know, it's, it's an amazing moment. It really is to, because. The, the family members and the people on shore know that they're just waiting for closure. They're waiting to see their son or their daughter's body brought back. And the emotion goes out and they start crying. And But they at least have closure. They're, 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 their family members are at least back and not missing. Um, but to be able to bring one out alive, um, <clears throat> I think... The first, one of the first ones was at was actually a cave instructor uh, had two students in the cave for a class. And he took, uh, there's a main line and that's 
generally where the water's coming from. That's the main cave It's like Swiss cheese down there. There's little holes and stuff everywhere. Well, there was a side pass. No, I won't say it. (laughs) There's a side passage. We call them jumps because you have to have a line, a continuous line to the surface. So the main line, and then there's a line over here, and you have to put a, a little small jump reel from here to here to connect that so you have a continuous line. He was going to do a jump, but he wasn't familiar with the cave, and he took the wrong jump. We do what's called side mount diving. If you can see here, the tank's wide. So mm-hmm. your file's very small. Most uh, back in the olden days, and still a lot of people uh, back mount cave dive, so your doubles are on your back, so your profile's much larger. Well, this guy was a pretty heavy set. He was a he was a big guy, and his two students. So the three of them are all in back mounted doubles. Well, this passage that he accidentally took instead of the one he should have taken was a small side mount passage, and he told the students to go in and it will come around to the cavern. Well, the students get in there and within a hundred feet into this passage, it gets down to this tall. They can't fit in their doubles. Students told to go. So he gets, and he gets stuck. And now as he's kicking and squirming and wiggling to try and get through this restriction, he was told to go. He's just blowing out the visibility. Now his buddy is actually reaching out and hold, and touching his, his leg as this guy's kicking and kicking and stirring it up, stirring it up. Doing the instructors now getting silted out, and he doesn't know what the heck's going on. Up to them when the guy pops through the restriction. Then his buddy's at the restriction stuck now. He's kicking and kicking, and he pops through. Well, the instructor's too big. He can't fit. What do you do? You can't follow your students in. He doesn't know where it goes. So he turns around in a panic and leaves the cave. He left his students in there to die. So now they're in this passage. They've got a little bit of visibility, but it's going away rapidly. And then they get to the next restriction, and they're fighting and fighting, and it's just it, it, it's making a huge mess. And they just this is going on and on and on. These guys are struggling for their life, and this sediment is going everywhere, and it just stays suspended in the water. And the visibility is getting worse and worse. Where they're at, it's it's zero vis. It's it's. To be uh, on land, and I was getting ready to gear up for one of my classes. One of the kids that worked for me, he was only, I think, 17 years old. You have to be 18 years old to start cave diving, but I got a waiver to start him early. So he's going to shadow my class for some extra time before his next class. And he's already halfway through the process. And all of a sudden, I'm talking. I'm still in street class. I'm still talking to my students about what we're going to do, and then we're going to gear up and get in the water. And all of a sudden, I hear this, help, 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 help. And I look over towards the, the water, and I see this guy standing there. I know who he is. And I knew he had two students. And he's screaming, help, help, help. So I start running over there, and I'm throwing keys and phones out of my pocket, because I figure I'm going to have to jump in because I don't see a student. So I'm figuring they're there in the water. I'm going to have to uh, get them out, do CPR, mouth them out. And I yelled to Jay, call 911. And as I 
kicked out of the water. His name was Ed also. And I look at him, I go, Ed, where's your students? Oh, fuck, they're dead. I go, what? He goes, they're dead. They're going to die. I go, well, are they dead or are they going to die? <laughs> and he goes, oh, don't let them die. So I yelled at Jay and I said, tell him the body recovery divers on scene. I said, get my shit in the water now. So Jay starts putting my regulators on my tanks and getting everything to the water. I run back to the table, start putting my dry suit on. And I get back to the water. By this time there's, uh, you know, 20 minutes has passed and the, the EMS and the sheriff are right down the street. So they were already rolling in. Plus, even though when he called 911, he told them the body recovery divers on scene, they immediately call our shop. <laughs> Casey's pulling in and I'm in the water and I'm clipping off my tanks, getting ready to go in. And I keep telling him, Ed, where are your students? I don't know, they're gonna die. And I finally get, I'm, I'm done suiting up and I grabbed him, I started shaking. I go, Jesus, Ed, get a hold of yourself. I said, where are your students? He's like, and he's, he's just blubbering. He's like, I don't know, they're gonna die. And I, said, and I just shook him again. I go, where are they? There was a jump line. I go, okay, that's all I need. And I took off. And he was such a mess. Stacy actually waded out into the water in her street clothes and, and started hugging him. And he's just blubbering. They're going to die. They're going to die. They're going to die. And Stacy said, Ed's the best there is at this. He knows this cave like the back of his hand. If they're still alive, he'll find them. He'll get them out. About an hour and a half later, um, I did find them. Like, it was another one of those where so much time had passed that the, the whole park is bannered off, and there's bystanders behind the police tape. There's life flight helicopters landed. There's two ambulances. Department everywhere. There's fire department everywhere. They got body bags stretched out, stretchers out. And I bring these two guys up alive. And, you know, everybody on the shore. It was, you know, that, that was probably, I think that was either the first or the second rescue that year. So, so you gained two more students after that, I take it. <laughs> Actually, I did. The guy, uh, one of them, when I found them, it was complete zero. I went through that entire passage that, that they were supposed to be in. And they were not there. Now it's zero visibility, so I'm just feeling around, you know. And then sometimes, like there'd be a fissure crack, and if you got up high enough, you could there would be some clear water up there. You could see maybe a foot or two. And like I said, usually the bodies will float, and they were in back mounted double, so I knew they weren't going to be any thing super small. But I'd gone through the entire passage and I couldn't find them. So when I got to the end of the passage, the line ends. So I hooked on the safety reel and I started doing a search pattern. And every so often I stop and just listen. If somebody's breathing underwater, you can usually hear the bubbles. Sound travels four times faster in water. Or sometimes they'll start banging on a tank um, or something to make noise. And I'm, I'm listening, I don't hear anything, and I'm searching again, I stop and listen, I don't hear anything, I'm searching. And then all of a sudden it sounded like whales. And I heard this, and- Do that again. 
so I go, I'm thinking, okay, one of them, at least one of them still alive. So if you closed your eyes right now and somebody yelled to your right, you would turn to your right because that's how it worked. Um, in the water, it's omnidirectional. So if somebody yells, it sounds like it's coming from everywhere. So I just keep searching. Right. And then all of a sudden the noise is getting quieter. Uh, okay, I'm going the wrong direction. So I start going the other direction. All of a sudden I'm, I'm searching like this and all of a sudden I came face to face with one of the victims. All of a sudden I just saw his face and I saw hands come up and I moved him out of the way and I got a regulator out there for him. And so I got him, I got him back to uh, the primary line and I, and he was squeezed in the line. He was doing the sign of the cross, and he he was going like this: that he wants out. That means end the dot. And I said no. And I squeezed his hands on the line. I said wait right here. And so I went in and I went back, first around until I found his buddy, brought him out, and I got the two of them out. And later on, Stacy was sitting with one of them, the guy that was supposed to try, and. <clears throat> the sheriff was giving, writing the incident report. Stacy's sitting there with her arm around this guy and he's telling the story to the sheriff. And he says, we have a thing what's, uh, in our pocket called a safety reel. If you lose the line, you're supposed to do what's called a lost line search. And you tie off to a rock and start searching so you don't get more lost. And you try to find the line you were just on. He said, I got my safety reel out to try and find the line. And the sheriff's writing, he says, okay, then what happened? He goes, well, then I, I dropped the reel and it rolled away. It was just a spool and it rolled away. And he's like, okay, then what did you do? He goes, well, I had a spare, so I got my spare out. He goes, okay, then what'd you do? He goes, well, then I tied that one to a rock and I dropped it and it rolled away. <laughs> The cops kind of looks at him, stops right, looks at him, he goes, then what did you do? He goes, well, then I knew I was going to die. He goes, so I wanted to get, we carry in our pocket what's called wet notes, and it's a little notepad, and it's waterproof paper. And he said, I got my wet notes out. I wanted to write my wife a note telling her I love her and the kids. And the cop's like, okay, then what did you do? He goes, well, I couldn't see right. He goes, okay, <laughs> then what did you do? Um, well, then then the black and chrome angel appeared and took me to safety. And apparently, when I came up to him, all he saw was a black hood mask and my two chrome first stages on my black and chrome angel. So that was another one. Wow, okay. It was just nice to get to send, you know, another one home. Right, right. <clears throat> Wow! Wow! Yeah. See, um, you you were afraid we weren't going to have anything to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was afraid that you were going to run out of time and you were going to cut me off. And well, I that's going to that's going to happen pretty shortly. Because <laughs> <laughs> my dinner's coming up. Oh, oh yeah, that's that's an important time. <laughs> right, right. So, Leo, I mean, you've missed like all kinds of, you know, ups, show notes. And, oh, yeah. And, no, this is. So, so, so do your show note thing because I kind of miss it. Okay. Well, 
<laughs> uh, okay, this has been an amazing show, and uh, the stories are absolutely incredible, awe-inspiring. But, you know, if you want to learn more about Ed, definitely check the notes up above, down below, depending on where you're watching or listening to us. I got a link to uh, his Facebook page, uh, the Wikipedia for all his information, uh, Cave Adventures, if you want to give uh, cave diving a try. I know I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I mean, I know he's got many, many more stories, Leo, so maybe maybe you should... uh get him up on the the dorkening uh at some point oh yeah that'd be awesome you know we've got uh well leo is the producer of the dorkening podcast network which produces our show but he produces how many shows uh i don't know i lost count (laughs) uh five or six something like that and how many are on the network uh about over 30 yeah. So, so if you're interested in, in, in telling more stories on other shows, uh, I can have Leo reach out to you. If you're... That'd be great. Um, you know, this is one of those things that um, it was always kind of, for many, 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 many years, it was just kind of a thankless job. Um, we would get called. We would come out, do a body recovery. Uh, you know, the family would thank us. Um, and then most of the time, they, you know, we never, and, um, the, the girl that I rescued, she actually wrote me a letter, um, a while after that happened, uh, very emotional, um, uh, very heartfelt thank you letter. Um, her father that kept wanting to pay me, um, we have a trade show every year called, um, I have expo show and <clears throat> it's, usually either in uh, Orlando or in Las Vegas. And it's all the vendors get together and, um, you know, new products are being displayed, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's a there's a company called Dan, Divers Alert Network. They have dive insurance, and it's all about uh, health and keeping people safe. And apparently he had um, donated a bunch of money in my name to Dan. And the director of Dan called me and said, are you coming to Dima this year? And I said, yeah, come to this dinner. I said, sure. And he said, we'll have tickets for you, blah, blah, blah. So I get there and they had uh, the first ever uh, Dan life-saving hero award. They presented that to me. Um, the uh, P- training agency, PSAI, Professional Scuba Association International, um, they've given me four now, um, well, six now, uh, Heroic Merit Awards uh, at, uh, presented to me at DEMA shows. Um, the ASA gave me the, actually named a, an award after me. Usually, I was, I was going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah. had an award named after you. Usually that doesn't happen until somebody's deceased. Um, and it was the Ed Sorensen Outstanding Achievement Award. Um or some of the rescues, um, the uh, IADRS, which is a association of um, mostly police fire rescue divers, um, gave me a uh, Heroes Recognition Award. I got the NSS CDS, uh, which I'm the safety director for, Logical Society Cave Diving Section. Um, I've been the safety director. For- um, they gave me a Lifetime Achievement Award. 
Um, Jackson County Sheriff uh, gave me a meritorious service award for all the uh, rescues that I got in Jackson County. Uh, the, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Order of St. John. The order that was started in medieval times uh, to help the uh, Crusaders. Um, I am the first American to ever uh, be awarded the uh, Silver Life-Saving Medal from the Order of St. John's. Wow. Her Majesty, the Queen of England, gave me, recognized me a member of the order. Um, I got the Nawi Prince Albert Medal of Heroism. And Nawi is one of the few training agencies that I don't teach for it. And they said it was the only time they've ever given a um, heroism award to somebody that isn't part of their organization. Um, PSAI the last year gave me um, an individual world record in cave diving rescue and recoveries award. Um, uh, <clears throat> Congressman Neil Dunn had actually um, brought up a story about me after the Tennessee cave rescue on the house floor. And somebody sent me a, uh, a, a, new, a, a news clip a video of him addressing me to the House of Congress. Wow. He actually sent the House minutes with everything that he said uh, presented to me, which was really cool. Uh, yeah. and, and Congressman Neil Dunn actually came to our little teeny town of Marion, Florida and had a dinner here and uh, had me speak. And he gave me this award, coins, uh, which was really cool. Uh, I heard a paper well, turn, so he had all those written down. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. No, so many. no I want to I say that I have two movies in my head right now. Right? A horror movie called The Cave Dweller. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. I know there's and one called The Cave. And a superhero movie called Underwater Man. Underwater Man, <laughs> the story of Ed Sorensen. I could, I could really see somebody picking that up as yeah, as a legit movie. Man. I mean, yeah, you've accomplished so much, and you were naming all the awards, and I'm looking at your your Wikipedia and all the notes that I got, and I'm like, well, somebody has to update his profile because they're not all on here. <laughs> it was probably seven or eight years ago when somebody said something about Wikipedia. Uh, your Wikipedia page, and I said, "Why would I have a Wikipedia page?" <laughs> and he sent me a link to it, and I was like, "Oh, you yeah. oh. do!" What the fuck is a Wikipedia? <laughs> <laughs> That's so. If you ever want to find out something about uh, individuals, I guess I don't know. I didn't even know I had one. But I wonder if I have a Wikipedia page. Think I got no. a Wikipedia page? Not I don't. Yet. No. no. <laughs> you don't you even know? have a picture on IMDb yet. You, you'll be all right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't because I, I don't um, want to give them money. Fuck them, right? But yeah, you um, that's that's amazing. I mean, I knew that you had medals and you've won awards, and I was going to touch briefly on that. I want people, I want people that are watching us and listening to this later on. I want them to actually research and and, and find you and and watch your stories, and if nothing else, bring you up and chat with you. I mean, this has been one of the funnest shows. Um, no, this has been awesome. Great the, the, show. I get yeah. a pee. <laughs> oh, I guess that's our hint. <laughs> and that's a wrap. <laughs>
So, so Leo for yep. Leo for season three, it's gonna Jeff's intro is gonna be I gotta eat and I gotta pee. Yep. <laughs> well, I gotta do both, but not at the same time. But no, um, you know, like Leo said earlier, if you want to find out more about Ed Sorensen or Cave Adventures or the countless awards or underwater recoveries slash rescues that he's performed, it's Google, folks. It's Google. It's that simple. It's Google. But, oh, yeah. No, if I'm in next time in Florida, I'm going to look you up. You can take my wife down under. Hey, yeah. we're, we're on this beautiful five mile long Miami Lake. Um, normally, a Miami Lake is a river at one end and a dam at the other. This is a dam at one end and a magnitude one spring that dumps out 150 million gallons of drinking water. The whole lake is crystal clear. So we have two boats. Come on down. I'll give. I'll go hop on one of the boats. I'll give you a tour of where all the caves are and just a beautiful sightseeing tour. We'll even bring Leo. We'll see if we can get him underwater. <laughs> He's like, nope, nope, ain't no, gonna happen. I told you I'm not allowed in Florida anymore. <laughs> uh, Adele was asking uh, if Ed has worked on Oak Island. You know, that's one of my favorite shows. Um, and when they first started doing uh bringing in divers um i i if if they had ever asked i absolutely would have because the when they first started doing it if you remember the the, the hole that they yeah. were drilling was, was fairly small i think it was 28 inches in diameter. And i actually got called out to um find a, a broken drill bit uh in a in a casing that was 26 inches in diameter in zero visibility water so Stacy's like, oh, you should do that. You've been in shit smaller than that. So, no, I wish I, I wish they would have called me. I would have loved to have been on the show. Uh, I, I watch it. Um, I have it. I have them taped so I can watch. Yeah. Them. Well, you know, it, it looks like they're getting really close to the the uh, what is it? The Tupper shaft, the first shaft. So chances are they'll need a diver again. So it's. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. I'm I'm ready and willing. Producers of Oak Island. Ed's Ed's available. Yeah. And on and on that note, Leo, yeah. take okay. us out. Okay, I want to thank every I want to thank everybody for watching this fine evening. Definitely, you know, look up Ed. I got all the information in the show notes. And uh, for me, just Google Leo Pond. You'll find a bunch of stuff. Could be true, could be not. But what's uh, very important is I run a little thing called the Dorkening Podcast Network. We have over 30 shows on the network. Tons of stuff going on. As a matter of fact, I got another live show starting here soon at 9 p.m. So uh, make sure you stay for that. We're going to be talking about WandaVision and uh, also the Nintendo Direct and Constantine as well. Some news about that. Uh, yeah. And uh, just head on over to thedorkening.com, which you can find just about everything. And, uh, Ed, where do you like people interacting with you on social media? Sure. Um, people can go to my page, Ed Sorensen, and as it's uh, up on the page, it's Ed with two Ds, uh, E-D-D, Sorensen. Uh, so I have my Facebook page, and then I also have the Cave Adventure Facebook page. Um, so absolutely uh, pop in and say hi. Okay. Jeffrey. Awesome show. Ed, um, inspiring, man. I don't know how you can go down for that long. <laughs> He's got breathing apparatus. <laughs> yeah, breathing apparatus. That's it. That's what you need. And tanks on the side. That's right. I got it. I got it. Yeah, uh, don't Google me. You don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, uh, stilltoken.com. Um, my Facebook page, that's where I'll be. I don't do any of that other shit. Okay. 
<laughs> Benjamin. <laughs> I need a shave. <laughs> yeah, did you, you see do. that? I did. I did. Yeah, look. I need a shave. Slacking. <laughs> yeah, well. Slacking. Gandalf. Dell <laughs> <laughs> says I just spit my coffee everywhere. Yeah, we have that effect on people, apparently. So we're on all social media platforms. Uh, still talking with as most of them uh, our facebook page is toking with the dead which is the comic book series we want to thank ed for being here tonight i mean this story was one that i re- i was really looking forward to um, it wasn't a story it was stories that's what made it so cool it was it was the story of ed Sorensen and his in, stories in, in stories hey i thought you had to pee i do but then let me wrap it up so i can let you go pee <laughs> So, um, yeah, like Jeff said, stilltoking.com. Definitely reach out, learn more about Ed and everything he's accomplished and things he's done uh, to all our veterans and first responders. We want to thank you for doing what you do every day so people like us can come up here and do what we do every day. We'll see you next week. We're out of here. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Bye.